Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of Project Shadow. My name's Charlie. You might know me better as sci-fi fantasy writer C.E. Dorset. And it's it's finally here. Let's talk about Fantastic Beasts, the crimes of Grindelwald. Um, before we get started, a few things that I need to do for uh, housekeeping on this topic. One, I... I I'm a huge Potterhead. I love the books. I enjoy, rather enjoy the movies. I actually read the Fantastic Beasts and Quidditch, Quidditch Through the Ages when they first came out. When they were released for charity, I read Beetle the Bard. I, I am kind. Of, I've got a huge collection of Harry Potter stuff in my office. I, I want to preface with that. I really like Harry Potter stuff. I also feel that I should say I rather enjoyed the first movie, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. I also watched this movie in its extended version, which was longer than the theatrical cut, and I watched it after all of the brouhaha around the film blew up, and all of the different comments and stuff. Not caring about spoilers, I actually watched and listened and read a lot of people's takes on the film. And all of that definitely probably colored my experience of this film. So, before we go into spoilers, so you know if you... Uh, I guess, given the way media works now, if you like me, dislike me, or think I'm irrelevant from this point on, my personal opinion of Fantastic Beasts and the Crimes of Grindelwald? It was fine. Was it great? No. No, it wasn't great. Was it the worst thing ever, a blight on Harry Potter fandom and the death of all things Wizarding World for all time? No. There was so much hyperbole surrounding this movie. I felt that it was The Last Jedi Part 2. And we're going to talk about some of that today. So, also, okay, last couple things before we get into spoilers. There's a lot of talk about this movie being a flop. Was it crazy successful? No. It was the 10th, um, it was 10 out of 10 worldwide, if you look at how much a Potter film, any, any Wizarding film made, and yes, if you count all the iterations, we're at 10 Potter films now, as that's the 8 Harry Potter movies and 2 Fantastic Beasts, um, so that's not great. It made about... See, I'm looking at theater. I'm looking at Mojo right now. We have it making $652.9 million worldwide. 
off of a $200 million budget. Is that good? Is that bad? Eh. Okay, so generally speaking, a movie has to make back twice what it costs to make to be profit profitable. So <clears throat> in theory, if it if it costs them $200 million to make the movie, they're going to spend about $200 million promoting the movie, which brings, at least on paper, the movie's cost up to about $400 million. Having made, you know, $652,866,059, according to Mojo Worldwide, mm, that's not terrible. It's not great, but it's not terrible. It did bring in three times what it costs to make. It did break over the threshold of what you would expect it to need to make to be considered at least minorly profitable. It did debut number one on its opening weekend, um, and it made 40% of its domestic income that weekend, which is not the best. So, was this a runaway success? No. Was it a flop? Mm, that depends on how you want to define a flop. For a Wizarding World movie, for a movie dealing with the worlds of J.K. Rowling, yeah, it didn't do great. But, again, I really feel that a, a movie that makes over half a billion dollars is not technically a flop. It just, it isn't. And the foreign markets really, you know, beefed up. You know, 75.6% of its money came from the foreign mar markets. I, I don't think you can call it a flop. It'll be curious to see what it makes now that it's available to purchase and rent, which, you know, we don't normally talk about that income, but that plus streaming rights and everything, they, they do play a more prominent role in whether or not media succeeds or not. So I, I, I don't want to approach this as if it were a flop flop. The... IMDb um, user rating on it is a 7.3. I, I, whatever. Let's talk about the actual movie. And I'm not going to... Th this movie came out long enough. I'm not going to do a breakdown of the general plot before we go into spoilers. Because I think a lot of people have probably already, you know, heard what the movie is basically about. For me... You know, I wish I could have gone to see it in theaters. I'm curious what my perceptions of the film would have been if I had seen it then as opposed to now. And I bet they may have been different. So we're going into spoiler territory now. If you do not want to be spoiled for Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald, please pause now, go watch the movie, come back, and... Because I'm going to be talking about everything. And I'm actually going to be starting at the very end of the movie. Okay? Everybody good? Alright, let's continue. So, one of the things that people got most bent out of shape 
with this movie for is the revelation at the end of the film that Credence Barebone is the long-lost brother of Albus Dumbledore. Bum, bum, bum. And, yeah. So, for anybody who took this plot point to heart, I, I, I really... We, we, we need to talk. Like, we seriously need to have a talk about media literacy. Because whether it's true or not, the franchise will eventually tell us. Um, <clears throat> I don't want to really go out on the movie yet, but I will say there's a special feature that comes along with it where J.K. Rowling's pretty clear that Grindelwald lied. And, yeah, you, you're trusting... Grindelwald. And I I really want to bring this up because, you know, since the whole, no, Luke, I am your father, those kinds of dramatic twists have become a staple of the sci-fi fantasy world. And this, of course, is something that people got very bent out of shape with when Darth Tantrum revealed that Rey was n nobody. That she wasn't anybody important. And again, it depends on what happens in episode 9. They, they could always reveal that she was somebody else and he was lying because he's a villain. There's a reason why at the very beginning of Return of the Jedi, Luke asks Yoda if it's true. And Yoda eventually confirms it. And then he talks to Ben about it because it's such a big revelation and it's coming from a villain that even in the father of all twist revelations, the second film, the film that followed, well, the third film in that case, the film that followed took a lot of time asking if that question's true. If that answer is right, is that what is, did the villain tell me the truth? That can't possibly be true. And in this case, notwithstanding J.K. Rowling basically saying that it's more than likely not true in one of the spe special features on that came with it, the whole point of the story is that Grindelwald is wanting to get Credence to kill Albus Dumbledore for him. And this is a perfect way to do it. He is shown throughout the movie to be a manipulative liar. And then everybody just takes what he says at the end of the movie as true. And again, we'll see. There will be at least one more, if not three more, of these movies. And Warner Brothers really needing to hit something out of the park... My money is on three more of these movies. Because, you know, they they need something. You know, Warner Brothers really doesn't have anything going for them right now. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't understand the great freakout on that. I think more than likely we're going to find out that he actually is a Lestrange. Because, remember, you know, we have to... We, we have two Lestranges that we have to account for. 
And at the, this point in the story, remember, if you were paying attention to the film, and this is where like any Potter fans that I saw go crazy about this. At this point in the film, you have to realize two things that are so blindingly apparent. Okay, let's go with this. You ready? One, Lita is said to be the last of the Lestranges, and that there are no male Lestranges left. Well, let's go to the two problems with this. One, Voldemort went to school with a Lestrange. Presumably a male, because you look at the people he's with when he refers to him as Lestrange. And they're all boys. So... There has to be a male Lestrange somewhere for the name to go on. And Lee and Bellatrix marries a male Lestrange. And she went to school with Snape and them. So, yeah, Somewhere there has to be a male Lestrange that will give birth to the Lestrange that will be at the school while Voldemort's there, who will give birth to the Lestrange that will meet Bellatrix and marry her and go to prison with her and die in prison with her. A male Lestrange is out there somewhere. And it would only make sense if it turns out to be Credence, and even if it doesn't, it would make sense if it's Credence, because then Credence would move to England. That would explain why the Lestranges go to Hogwarts and not to Durmstrang or Beaubaton. So, let, let's just think about this for a moment from the lore. Just, just for a moment, can we think about this? And, you know, when I expected... The revelation. I thought it was going to be something a lot more substantial than Grindelwald just saying it. Because he's Grindelwald. He's the bad guy. He's not a reliable source for any information. He, he lies to Queenie so successfully that she joins his side during the film. He's a liar. He's a liar. And whether or not it turns out to be true or not, later films will show. But like I said, there's a special feature on the disc where Joe basically says it's not true. So, eh, whatever. I, I don't see why that one blew people's minds as much as it did. That, that you, you're taking a villain seriously. That's never a good thing to do. I so go back and watch listen to some of the old less jedi stuff on that it's just it's a ridiculous thing i don't understand it i didn't expect to spend this much of the episode talking about it so after the break we'll talk about some of the other stuff that happens in this movie and we're back hi okay so was this a bad movie because so many people went on and on and on about how it was a terrible movie I, I I don't know if this is because I watched an extended version of it that, by the way, put in the corner of the screen, deleted scene every time a, a new scene was added in. And most of the scenes that were cut out were actually cut out for pacing. They slow the story down. 
they do sometimes give more context to what's going on, like a scene of Credence and Nagini in Paris, you know, stealing bread so that they can survive. But they, they, I, I don't feel like the deleted scenes in the version that I watched would have radically changed much. Was it a terrible movie? I, I don't think so. I, I, like I said, it's not my favorite of the Potter films, which, you know, that's a hard thing to pick anyway, but I, it, it was okay. It was fine. The pacing, I don't think, was any worse than the um, Deathly Hollows films, which I think had their own pacing issues. I do believe it had too many characters and that the name was horribly chosen. They should not have named it The Crimes of Grindelwald. But that is a decision that was made for whatever reason that decision was made. The The story was fine. There were There was... An overabundance of it. Did we need to see Nicholas Flamel? He was kind of funny, but maybe. He does kind of lead the whole triumphant revolt at the end against Grindelwald, so that was kind of neat to see. I actually rather liked the use of the Finite charm to get rid of the fiend fire that... Grindelwald left behind him. But yeah, it was fine. Th there was a lot of story in here, and I almost wish that Joe had just written a novel and they had adapted the story from the novel, because much like what I said with Fantastic Beasts, because Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, to me, was the closest film experience I've had to reading one of the Harry Potter books. And that's one of the reasons why I really liked it. This movie felt like an abridged version of one of Joanna's books. And that may be something that people reacted to. Usually she restricted her POV so that they were almost... Well, the, the books are exclusively from Harry's point of view... With the few exceptions, the chapters that we get from the Muggle Prime Minister, the one we get from the Muggle caretaker of the house that Voldemort moves into, there are a few exceptions to that, and of course, the one that we get from um, Narcissa Mal Malfoy's point of view. There, there are a few exceptions to the exclusively in Harry's point of view, but the vast majority of the text that she wrote was from Harry's point of view. And this movie, I do believe, would have benefited more if it had stuck to just Newt's point of view or Jacob's point of view, if it would have picked one of the characters and just run with them. The complications in the relationships between Queenie and Jacob and between Tina and Newt could have been much more interesting if they were explored in a much longer story. And I, I think that, you know, from my point of view, that was just Joe, the novelist, still getting into the groove of writing a screenplay. I don't dislike 
what they did with any of those. And as much as it hurt me to see Queenie go over to Grindelwald's side, because she was my favorite character from the first movie, I understood why she did it. I mean, I understood how she got hoodwinked. I understood how his propaganda was able to brainwash her. And that's really what this movie is about, is the power of propaganda and the power of a charismatic leader to um, take over. So, a couple of the things that I need to make sure that I touch on before we get to the end of the episode, because there's a lot of stuff I want to talk about. Nagini. While I am not going to take away from any Asian person's experience and how they felt about the character of Nagini, this the character that appeared in the movie is a much more interesting character than I expected, especially given all of the backlash that, to me, felt much more based off of the trailers than the movie. She is a very sympathetic character in the movie. She is constantly trying to get Credence to do the right thing. She does not side with Credence when he runs off with Grindelwald, and is actually with the good guys by the end of the film, which begs a lot of questions. Because if she is, in fact, the Nagini that we meet in the Harry Potter books, I'm curious how we get from one Nagini to the other. The character, as portrayed in the film, opened a lot of questions to me as far as how do we get from the person with a conscience in the crimes of Grindelwald to the loyal servant of Voldemort who tries to trap and kill Harry in Deathly Hollows, and who kills Snape and who kills so many people. Um, I, I, I'm very curious how that works. I'm actually, you know, like I said, I don't want to take anything away from anyone's feelings. Feelings are feelings. You are entitled to them. I, I I found the character interesting, and I'm curious where she goes from here, especially because the character arc from the conscience of one of the characters in the movie to the Nagini that we already know, that's a long road that I'm I'm not sure how we get from one to the other, and I'm kind of curious to see how that works out. But again... I don't want to take it away, anything away from anyone's experience there. As far as Dumbledore goes, a lot of people were upset about the blood oath. Okay, I, and this is me unavoidably reading things into the text, and I understand that if it's not in the text, it's not in the text, but... The flashback that we get that explains all of this happens with Dumbledore looking into the Mirror of Erised. The Mirror of Erised shows you the deepest desire of your heart. It shows him when he and Grindelwald made the pact, and then it shows him Grindelwald standing there. That 
is not out of character with a lost love and the love of one's lifetime. Again, I understand he never says that. He is at one point, it is said at one point that you were like brothers. Dumbledore says we were far more than brothers. Yes, within the text, within a strict reading of the text, one could argue that that's just referring to the blood oath that they took with one another. But again, he would not be the deepest desire of Dumbledore's heart appearing in the mirror of Erised if they were just family. I don't, especially the way that they appear in there. I, I That's me reading into things. I did not find that upsetting or objectionable. I do think that it was partially bad form on Joe's part to write that in there because we know that they are eventually going to break the blood pact somehow because in 1945 they do duel, but it almost looked like an eloped marriage to me. Again, that's me reading into the story and take that for what it's worth, but I, I, I'm okay with it. I'm fine with it. It didn't bug me all that much. Uh, yeah. As far as Dumbledore being a defense of the Dark Arts, against the Dark Arts teacher, that's handled. He's banned from being, in course of the film, he's banned from being a DADA teacher. And of course, he will become, I'm assuming, the Transfigurations professor. And what have you. Um, yeah. Why is nobody talking about the fact that Professor McGonagall's in the film? She is. It's short. But they did recast an actress for McGonagall. And nobody's talking about that. But okay. Fine. Um, Jude Law was perfectly fine as young Dumbledore. We'll see how that goes, where that goes in the future, blah, blah, blah. Overall, I don't understand why this film became a lightning rod. Like, I don't want to be defending it. Don't think that I'm trying to defend this film in particular because it's it's not a hill I'm willing to die on. I mean, this isn't The Last Jedi, which I thought was a truly good movie, like a great movie, and probably one of my favorite Star Wars movies, and didn't understand why people didn't, you know, reacted the way that they did. Um, well, I did understand, but go back, just listen to that. If you missed my discussion of that film, just, you know, it's in the archives. You can go back and listen to all that, but I don't want to belabor it here, but you know, I'm not willing to fight for this movie. I, I, it, like I said, it was fine. It was a perfectly fine movie in the same way that prisoner of Azkaban was a perfectly fine movie or that, uh, you know, order of the Phoenix was a perfectly fine movie. Does it have some pacing issues? Maybe. I mean, I, it, it told the story that it wanted to tell in the way that it wanted to tell it. I didn't feel that the movie was slow, but I like a lot of slow movies, so probably not the right person to ask about that. But I, I just I don't understand the hatred that this movie got from people. I really don't. I mean, it was fine. It was a perfectly fine movie. It wasn't great. But it wasn't terrible. I've seen terrible movies. And, you know, I'm willing to call something out as just utterly terrible when it's utterly terrible. Especially when it's something that I really want to be good, like the Titans thing. Like, 
Titans was fine, but it was kind of on the terrible side of fine. And we'll be talking about that a little bit more when we talk about Umbrella Academy, which we're currently watching. And if you want to be ready for that review, definitely go check it out on Netflix. I'm really enjoying it, but I've never read the comics. If, if you want to have a rational conversation about this movie, and I hate saying it that way, but like, don't think that I'm trying to say that you're wrong if you did not like this movie. Movies are movies. If you don't like them, that's great. More, more power to you. And like I said, this isn't like my new favorite movie. But I don't, I don't understand why it got the hatred thrown at it that it did. It doesn't, it doesn't deserve that. It really doesn't. It, it's it's a fine movie. If you were afraid to see it because it, you were told that it was the worst thing ever made, it, it's definitely not the worst thing ever made. It's it's fine. You know, if you enjoyed any of the Percy Jackson movies, it's better than them. <laughs> you know. And they were fine. You know. Anywho. I, I, there's so much more I want to say about this. And then we may revisit this this movie in, further, in future episodes. Especially if you have any questions or comments. I would love to... I, I would just like to hear what you all think. Because I really don't know what to think about this film. I really don't. I mean, it was fine. But it's... It's almost become like an obsession for me in that I'm trying to figure out why there was this massive just hatred for this film. Because, I mean, like I said, it's fine. It's not great, but it's fine. Anywho, if you've enjoyed this episode and think it was better than, you know, fine, and the app that you're listening to me on allows you to rate either this episode or the podcast in general, please do so, especially if you're listening to us in iTunes or on uh, um, Apple Podcasts, which, thanks to the meager analytics that I do get, most of you do. The rest of you are listening on Anonymous Android something, Pocket Casts, Anchor, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Podbean, in that order. And then the vast majority of you, it's just under other. So I don't know what you're listening to me on. But of the ones that I do, the majority of you are listening on iTunes so, or iOS. So if, you're, if, you ha- if you can rate the podcast, please do so. It tells the algorithm to share the podcast with more people. And that would really help out a lot. If you've got a dollar you can throw my way, down in the show notes, you'll see a link that says Anchor Community Support. You can join the project at the $1, $5, $10 levels. That really does help out a lot. Help me to buy this microphone that I'm talking to you on. Will one day help me get a new laptop so I don't have to re-record sections because of weirdness. And so that really does help out a lot. If you want to follow me on social media, I'm C.E. Dorset on Twitter. You can go to facebook.com slash groups slash Project Shadow, one word, no spaces, no dash, no nothing, and join the group over there. I'd really like to get more discussion going over there. I think that would be a lot of fun. Um, yeah, still working on a lot of stuff. have some really good ideas for the audio series that I'll probably be sharing with you all soon. You can find links to everything that I do over at projectshadow.com. 
So until next time, thank you so much for listening, and don't forget, have the fun. Bye.